good to see everybody this morning. Great to be able to worship together, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. We're halfway through now the season of Lent, and our sermon series is in Psalm 51. It's David's famous psalm of repentance. And in it, he's responding to his sins of murder, adultery, and this egregious abuse of his role as ordained king of Israel. And you recall that when the prophet Nathan, who God sent to call David out, when he comes before David, David doesn't cover it up. He doesn't try to defend it. He immediately confesses that he sinned before God. And then he prays this psalm of repentance. And the word repentance means to turn away from our sin and turn back to God. So David begins by appealing to God's abundant mercy. It's who he is. It's out of his steadfast love that David knows he can be forgiven. And then last week, we saw how David confessed the total depravity of his sinful condition. It's because he was a sinner by nature that he sinned, and that went all the way back to when his mother had conceived him. Now, this next portion of Psalm 51 has 12 petitions that David makes to God. We're going to cover six this week and six next week. And these 12 petitions, they do two things for us. First, they capture the many different reactions that we can have to sin. And then second, they help us see how this repentance and forgiveness work together. You'll recall a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how when two people are united in truth, they've got a good relationship, and then one sins against the other, there's this distance that's put between those two in the relationship. And it can't be restored until this person repents and turns from it and requests that forgiveness. If this person forgives, then immediately it's restored. But if they fail to forgive, what kind of happens is that this person is now in the right, this person has failed to forgive, and that actually creates even greater distance. So the only way that it can be restored is through this connection between repentance and forgiveness. And it's a tremendous gift, because if you think about it in life, just due to our sinful natures, we're always going to be getting sideways with people. We're always going to be some form of tension in our relationships. And so it's so important that we exercise this amazing gift that God's given us to repentance and to forgiveness. So let's take a look at Psalm 51, verses 7 through 9. This is the portion we're going to study today. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Now before we launch into these six petitions, it's important to notice how in each of these requests, David makes it clear that none of this can be done without the help of God. Just take a look at all those. Do you see how David's in a state of utter dependence on God to answer each one of those six petitions? And that's what we do in prayer. We ask God. We express our dependence on him. 
Because remember, we learned in the Sermon on the Mount, he already knows what we need even before we ask. David has confessed that he screwed up and he can't get out of this jam on his own without his merciful and loving God. God is able to save and deliver and heal and restore anything that he wants to. He is all-powerful, and David knows that. David also knows that he deserves to die. But remember, when God sent Nathan the prophet to talk to him, he told David that God would spare him. Now, why would God do that? Because if you think about it, David hadn't even confessed yet. And that's because it's who God is. It's how his mercy works. We're not forgiven because we confess. We're forgiven because we have a merciful God who loves us. It's just who he is. And while we're all called to confess, it's not our confessing that clears us. It's God who clears us because he's merciful. We need to be crystal clear about this issue of mercy. God hates sin. Make no mistake about it. He's not letting sin off the hook with mercy. That's not what mercy is. You see, God hates sin so much that when Jesus took on the sins of the world, God had him crucified. So you see, sin must absolutely be dealt with. God doesn't ever let sin off the hook. So think about how much God must love us to do that to his one and only son. That's exactly why this back and forth between repentance and forgiveness is so intensely personal for us and for David, because it's about a relationship. We need repentance and forgiveness in our personal relationships and in our relationship with God. I want you also to recall how David's been in a relationship with God and been depending on him since the very beginning when he was tending sheep and the bears would attack them or the lions and David would fight them off or when David took out the giant Goliath or think about the many victories he had in all of his battles and as David pleads for forgiveness in this prayer something really critical for us to see becomes so apparent David's sin is now as intolerable to him as it is to God and that's what true repentance does for us it makes our sin so foul that we can't even take it another day. And like Cammie said last week, we're so prone to viewing others' sin as foul. And while we're so easy to excuse our own as just trivial sin, or perhaps we just let our sense of remorse that tends to come because we're just sorry that we got caught and we now have to deal with the punishment. But notice how David is not asking God to remove his punishment. Remember, Nathan had also told David that his son would die, that his wives would have affairs and they would be very public, that his family would live in strife. But none of that is David's concern here. He just wants the sin to be removed. He wants the guilt to be gone. He can't take it another day. He wants to be purified, cleansed, washed whiter than snow, so that he can hear joy and gladness, so that his broken bones can once again rejoice. David needs his merciful God to turn his face from David's sin. He 
needs the guilt of his iniquities to be erased, blotted out. That is David's focus in these six petitions. So the first petition David makes is to be purged with hyssop so that he will be clean. The word purge in the original language is kata, and when used in this context means to purify or to reconcile. Hyssop is a plant that grows in arid climates like the Middle East or maybe like Arizona. You can see a picture of it up there, that graphic. And it has major significance in Scripture in at least three fronts. First, it was used to sprinkle blood on the doorpost at Passover. You'll recall when the nation Israel was enslaved by Egypt and God had chosen Moses to lead them out, God had sent a series of plagues on the Pharaoh and on the people of Egypt. And one of those plagues was that God would send the angel of death on any household to kill the first male for families who did not take a hyssop branch sprinkled in lamb's blood sacrificed and put it on the doorpost. So hyssop represents both obedience and our dependence on God. Second, hyssop was used during the Exodus. Once Israel had escaped from Egypt, it was used to spread ashes from a sacrificed cow on a person who had sinned. So hyssop also represents forgiveness. And then third, hyssop was used ceremonially to cleanse lepers. Blood from a sacrificed bird was spread on a clean bird, and the bird was released. So hyssop also represents purification, cleansing, restoration. So the use of hyssop demonstrates David's desire to be obedient, to depend on God for forgiveness in order to be purified, cleansed, restored to a right relationship with God once again. Petition number two, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. We already pointed out two weeks ago that washing in this context speaks to laundry. Verse two, we studied that two weeks ago, David asked to be washed thoroughly, and now he adds the emphasis to be whiter than snow. As you can see in the image, washing back in the day involved wringing and sloshing and working against a board. Stains on clothes would be worked over and over again until they were removed down to the very fibers. That imagery of wringing and sloshing and working conveys how badly David wanted this sin to be removed, to be made whiter than snow. Now, whiteness is the symbol of purity, holiness, which means free from sin. To be whiter than snow is to be completely holy, and it's the only way we can ever be in the presence of our holy God. We're going to come back to this reference to white as snow in just a few minutes to further illustrate this point. The third petition, let me hear joy and gladness. Notice how David does not petition to experience joy and gladness at this point, but rather just to hear it. So where do we hear true joy and gladness? Because that's actually a pretty rare sound these days. Well, I can think of at least two cases. The first is when we hear the truth from God's Word. It brings a sense of joy and gladness like no other. That's primarily 
because truth stands in such stark contrast to the sin and darkness that tends to dominate our world. The second case is when we hear joy and gladness coming from a thriving church community that's encouraging, strengthening, and building each other up in Christ. That's why we gather on Sundays and special times throughout the years like Lent on Wednesdays. It's in part so we can hear what King David desired to hear, true joy and gladness. We all need to hear that. Now, clearly one of the most obvious ways we can hear joy and gladness is when we praise God through music together. Singing is a big part of worship. We find that throughout Scripture, and it's also our experience in most churches these days. And even if you're like me, and you can't carry a tune in a bucket, when we sing together, it really sounds joyful, doesn't it? It's making a joyful noise. So don't worry about the family sitting in front of you. Just let it rip. Seriously, it just sounds great. And what I've also found about the four-mile community is they're very forgiving. So you just afterward just say, hey, sorry about that. And they usually are like, no problem. You notice no one ever sits in front of me either anymore. It's also, though, why we want to encourage everyone to come to church whenever you possibly can, to be here in person. And don't get me wrong. We are so blessed to have this online opportunity, and it's helped many of us. It's helped me, too. There's always a season in our lives where we just can't be here in person, maybe because of a sickness or we're snowbirding or whatever it may be. So it's a great, great thing. But it's so important for us to hear joy and gladness firsthand and also to be able to contribute to other people's joy and gladness. In the book of Hebrews, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I can't tell you what an encouragement each of you are to me personally each week. I love to hear your joy and your gladness as we encourage one another in Christ. That's why I stand out back before and after church so we can hear one another's joy and gladness in the Lord. Petition number four, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David is absolutely crushed by his sin. I hope everyone in here has experienced that feeling of being crushed by your sin before. It's simply devastating. He's been broken to his core by extreme grief and immense distress to the very bones that support him. And again, it's not about getting caught or facing up to the punishment. It's about the sin, and that sin is simply overwhelming. And the source of David's brokenness is God himself. Do you see that in the text? Bones that you have broken. God was the one who had been convicting David of these heinous sins the entire time that he was trying to cover it up. That's why when Nathan finally approached him, David immediately confessed. He couldn't take it anymore. He had been reduced to brokenness, to dry bones, as if he were dead. The sin had absolutely shattered him. Have you been there? Have you been there recently? Ever felt the bone-crushing weight 
your sin. It's so important that we experience what David did. And I know we talk a lot about the doctrine of total depravity, and much we can do. It's in Scripture. If you're studying Scripture, you're going to see it everywhere. But it's so important that we all face up to that truth, because we can't begin to grasp the depths of God's mercy until we've grasped the depths of our sin, where we cry out like David in this fourth petition, that God might allow our broken bones to rejoice, that our dry bones might rattle once more with that kind of joy and the kind of praise that makes a dead man walk again, because that's the condition we find ourselves in as a result of our sin, dead. The fifth petition, hide your face from my sins. Multiple times throughout Scripture, God's people are encouraged to seek the face of God. That's even the title of that devotional that we sent out a few weeks ago, Seeking God's Face. Check out this verse from Chronicles. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, the Hebrew word for face means presence. So seeking God's face is to seek his presence. In order to do that, we need to abandon our sinful ways and turn back to God, which is the very definition of repentance. So when David says, hide your face from my sins, he wants God's presence to be concealed from his sin because he knows God cannot ever be in the presence of sin. So David asked God, separate the man from the sin. Now God made man in his image. After he created man, God said it was very good. You see, God loves man, but he absolutely hates sin. Which is why David doesn't say, turn your face from me. He says, turn your face from my sin. And notice he owns that sin. He says, my sin but he needs it separated from him so he can be in God's presence. David desires to return to God in the worst way, but it can only happen if God hides his face from his sin. And the sixth and final petition for today, and blot out all my iniquities. Two weeks ago, you'll recall that blotting out referred to erasing from a scroll And David is referring to his transgressions. This time, David wants God to blot out all of his iniquities. And we learned iniquities was about guilt, all of the guilt that David had from his efforts to twist the truth. Not only did he have an adulterous affair with Uriah's wife, but he then had Uriah killed to cover it up. Can you imagine the guilt, especially since Uriah was one of his trusted and noble lieutenants. David wants his guilt blotted out, erased from his record, and not just this issue with Uriah either. As we mentioned earlier, David acknowledges the reality of his condition, sinful since conception. I know when I'm burdened by my guilt, it often causes me to recall instances where I have twisted the truth. It's such a heavy and dreadful feeling. The weight of our guilt can be downright overwhelming. We want it all blotted out, removed, stricken from the record, so we never have to deal with it 
again. And that is where God's amazing gift of repentance and forgiveness provides such hope for us. So let's wrap up by going back to our colors for just a minute. God is sovereign. He's royalty, and that's often denoted by the color purple. God is also good. He is perfectly holy, whiter than snow, as we've already discussed. So we're going to use purple and white to reflect God's nature as our holy king. Now, how about us? Well, we're quite the opposite. We're mired in our sin, which is often represented by the color scarlet. The all-encompassing nature of our sin leads to evil and darkness, which we'll denote by the color black. So we use scarlet and black to reflect our nature and our sinful condition. And this is how we can see what happens when the Lord convicts us, when he calls us to repentance, as he did with King David. God can purge or purify us as with hyssop, so that we're forgiven and able to be in his presence. God can wash us white as snow, the darkness of evil gone because of God's abundant mercy and his steadfast love. God can make us hear joy and gladness from his word and from others who have placed their faith in him. God can make our bones rejoice, causing our dry, broken bones by all the guilt that we feel and all the sin that we experience to rattle once more. God can turn his face from our sin while never turning his face from his beloved creation. God can blot out all of our guilt and shame, wiping our record completely clean, our sins forgiven and forgotten once and for all. Do you see that scarlet and black up there? that represent our sinful condition, that separates us from God? Well, only our sovereign and good God can close that gap and bring us into a right relationship with him. You see, David's words express the depths of his pain associated with this sin. He hates it as much as God does. Why? Because God convicted David and called him to repent. That is exactly what this season of Lent is all about. It's a time for us to turn from our sin, to fast over it, to seek God's face and ask him to do what only he can do. If only we'd exercise this gift of repentance. It's just a simple cry. Help me, God, to turn from my wicked ways. Let's pray. Help us, O God. We desire a spirit of deep repentance. We long to be purged with hyssop, to be washed white as snow, to hear true joy and gladness that only comes from you. We long for bones that rejoice. So would you hide your face from our sins, but never turn your face from us. Blot out our iniquities, wipe away our guilt. Father, we long to seek your face. We praise your mighty name, Jesus, and thank you for this word today. Amen. So we use this graphic, we introduced this back on Ash Wednesday, and it's a great way for us to think hard 
about those things in our lives, those stones that are in our lives that need to be rolled away. And of course, this all helps us anticipate what we celebrate on Easter. We want those stones to be identified, so we ask God, please help us identify those stones, and then we ask God to help us roll those stones away so that we can seek his face and to be in his presence so that our bones would rejoice with that kind of praise that makes a dead man walk again. We serve a God who's able to save, to deliver, to heal, to restore anything that he wants to. Just ask, seek, and knock. He will do it. 